I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. Good morning and welcome to the BU Find Happy podcast. We are going to talk about some really fun stuff today. We're going to talk about sex and porn addiction and uh, all sorts of really exciting and taboo topics. And I cannot wait to hear your perspective on these things that um, we're kind of afraid often, I think, to talk about as it as it relates to kind of finding our inner selves and being happy. So to start, could you give the listeners a little bit of backstory about who you are and this fabulous book that you have written? Sure. And before I start, just want to say thanks for having me. And I love what you're doing with your platform. Um, so a little bit about me. I, I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, went out to college in Colorado, went to grad school out in California, and kind of fell into the first uh, dot-com boom and um, started a career there. And uh, over the course, you know, had a, had a good career and then found myself um, kind of taking some, some gnarly twists and turns along the way. And Eventually, in uh, 2015 or so, I had to come to terms with the fact that I had a problem with porn and sex addiction. And um, I kind of climbed out of all that over the the years that followed. And then uh, I decided to write a book about it so that other people who struggle with that would not feel quite so alone. And uh, maybe it could be a cautionary tale for younger men and women for to uh, avoid some of the mistakes I made. Well, I feel like the timing of your book is so apropos because so so most people that listen to this podcast know that I'm a psychotherapist and a lot of them know that I'm an on-staff psychotherapist at the Couples Institute of the Bay Area. And one of the things that I have found a lot lately is couples that are coming in. Um, with, you know, trauma to the relationship relating to porn addiction, sex addiction, and the ways in which it's really devaluing um, both partners in the relationship. So I'm just really curious to kind of get your perspective on how people fall into this particular trap, which is not unlike, you know, it, it seems to be kind of like the, you know, this, this decade's uh, gambling slash, you know, you know, drug addiction kind of a thing. But I'm really curious to see how you think people fall into this so easily. Um, I've read some pretty wild statistics about the prevalence of it and also um, the divorce rates because of it. So I just kind of want to hear what is your what is your experience of um, writing the book as far as your findings um, from like a global pandemic kind of standpoint? And how did you overcome this when it's literally so readily available? Yeah, it's it's really everywhere. And I think so many people are struggling with this, men and women, like you said. And I also, like you said, I feel like it's one of those things we're not really comfortable talking about yet 
even though it's affecting so many people. And again, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book um, so that people wouldn't feel so alone um, and would feel like this is something we can talk about. Um, well, you know, it's one of the first things I, when, when couples bring this to the table, I, I often say, look, there's not much that you could say that's going to surprise me at this point. I've been doing this 11 years. I've, I've heard and seen it all. Um, at least I, a lot of what I consider to be all. And, um, and, and, you know, once we start talking about it as kind of, you know, mental angst, trauma, et cetera, it seems to take some of that shame off and starts to become something that we can talk about very plainly. I also yes. have seen though, that couples get into trouble when one partner wants to start kind of aggressively acting out some of the stuff that they're seeing online and these, and, and then the other partner is feeling very violated in some cases, you know, that things are non-consensual and stuff like that, you know? Um, and I do think that you're right. It's incredibly taboo. And, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you had to go to a grocery store or a gas station, you know, you had to go to the aisle, you had to pull back a cover and you had to like buy a magazine, hand it to somebody and go through that process if you wanted it that bad. Um, you know, and then it wasn't graphic. It was very basic. Uh, now we've got, you know, with, uh, literally even on my Instagram stories, you know, how you can see who's following you or who's watching your stories at the bottom of the group of people that are watching my Instagram stories will be, you know, a woman's ass, you know, right there. And it says, want to hump me. That's her profile name. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my gosh, this is well, insane. Well, yes. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And you ask the question, like, how do people fall into this? I, I don't, I don't want to speak for everyone. I know how I fell into this and I was a young impressionable boy um, growing up, I had, my parents got divorced when I was young. My dad moved away. My mom suffered with a lot of depression and I was alone a lot as a young boy. And I watched a lot of television and on TV, I felt like I learned that to be a man, I needed to make a lot of money and drive a fast car. And then all the pretty girls would be attracted to me and then I'd be happy. Wow. You know, that that was the messages that I felt like I received. And I feel like it just got reinforced as I grew older um, through high school and into college. And and so and, and then for me, you know, I got my first laptop with an Internet connection when I was in college. And that's when I found online porn and it became a habit. And I thought, well, this is normal. All guys do this. They must because there's so much porn out there. It's everywhere. And but what I didn't really understand was that for me, it was like a gateway drug. And, you know, eventually still still pictures weren't enough. Then it had to be video and then video wasn't enough. And then I started looking on Craigslist for hookups and so on and so forth. And so I feel like. You know, that's how it happened for me. I do feel like in our society today, the baseline level of sex and sexuality is so high. It's kind of, to your point, it's, it's in our face all the time, uh, whether we want it or not. And I think it's having an effect. I mean, even just in your own practice, you're seeing that this is much more of an issue, it sounds like, than it used to be in the past. And so 
we can't deny that it's having some kind of effect on us. Right. And, you know, I what I got kind of sick and tired of hearing, to be honest, and not in my private practice, but in my personal life is that, you know, men have needs and that this is normal. At some point, I started to realize, I'm sorry, devaluing your partner by spending an absorbent amount of time online. Um, engaging with women or, you know, even masturbating or whatever, and vice versa, women too. It's not normal. It's not okay. It's not having needs. It's excessive. It's unnecessary. And it's hurtful. I don't, I don't disagree with, uh, you know, being a sexual being, exploring your sexuality. I I don't disagree with masturbation, exploring your own body. Um, Gosh, there's so many fabulous books like come as you are and she comes first about you know really getting in touch with the your just your your body as a as a sexual you know being um but i feel like the intimate connection is an important component that has just been lost um mm-hmm. over the years and i see that it can be so destructive to people's psyches because what what i find in my practice is that it's an it's an instant gratification thing. The buzz wears off very quickly. You quickly need more, like you said, like any other drug. And then, you know, and it becomes more advanced and more advanced. And then on top of all of that, your self-worth is diminished because you're not feeling better about yourself. Right. And that was exactly the spiral that I had fallen into. And that was the message that I was telling myself and my wife. You know, I... I have needs. I'm a man. I'm, I'm different than you are. Um, I was trapped in that as well. And it took a long time for me to unwind from that and to recognize that what I considered to be like some kind of biological need was actually a need for her or these other women that I was looking to for this connection Uh, I was looking to them to fill something inside of myself that was missing. And so my book, you know, the title is Silicon Valley Porn Star. It's, it is a story about me going through a porn and sex addiction, but at a very fundamental level, it's about me discovering that there was an entire spiritual side of myself that I had neglected for my whole life. And the net result was that I had gotten lost and trapped in this porn and sex thing. And as soon as I started to acknowledge that there was this other side of myself, my spirit, my soul, and build that relationship with myself and start to give myself the things that I needed, then I did not need those things from my wife or from other women or from pornography. And you mentioned masturbation. I'll touch on that briefly. I do think intention matters in life. And there have been times where if I was very honest with myself, my intention for masturbating was to numb myself, was right. to self-medicate myself, to avoid right. feeling something. Because right. and what a what a crazy cocktail of chemicals we get released when we do that, right? Yeah. And so I'm not, I'm not anti-masturbation. I'm not anti-sex, but I do think we have to be really honest with ourselves around what our intention is. Are we trying to cover something up? Are we trying to fill a hole inside of ourselves? And if so, we should, we should look at that. 
Right. And I think that's so the the twist and turns that the podcast has taken when it when it relaunched again after 150 episodes is this idea that, you know, we've gotten such into this self love, self care, all is me, I disregard anything and everyone that's not serving me. And it's created this space where we are uh, lacking in our intimate connections, we are lacking in bonding with people, we are shoving people away if they are not perfect, we are, instead of working through these things and realizing like, from a spiritual standpoint, I am imperfect by nature, and I do not and also perfect by nature. And I don't I don't deserve to, um, you know, have this, this walking through life where I'm um, self-helping my way by justifying poor behavior, right? Like, I really feel the self-help industry has taken this twist where we justify crappy behavior by um, seeking, you know, self-love or this mm. instant gratification. And, and I think that that's gotten us into a mess. I just have a pure, like morbid, curious question. Are you and your wife still together? Did you make it through? We did. Oh, wow. We are, she we must are. be an incredibly strong woman. I don't yeah. know that I would have that strength. I, I don't know that I have the self-confidence to be intimate with someone after they've done that. It would take a lot for me it to... Would... Yeah, yes, and it has taken a lot. And um, in the book, we talk about, you know, she also had... Her, it's it's Anna, right? Her name's Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, yeah, um, yes. But at one point in our relationship, she had an affair that lasted for quite some time. Um, but not only that, as we were really working through this on a very deep level with a, a life coach who was helping both of us a lot. Um, you know, that woman, her name's Melissa. I talk about her in the book a lot. Yes. Yes. Um, she helped both of us take responsibility for our sides of the creation. And Anne Marie had her side of the creation that she also took responsibility for and so and i see uh, this a lot right it's mm -hmm. it, um there's often a woman involved who a partner involved let me say that who is um very degrading to the other spouse very and i'm not suggesting that Anne marie had this but there is often a component where two trauma individuals are single-handedly destroying each other with their tools <laughs> for kind right. of coping with things and it's never just one person you know it, it really never is and you know, one of the things that my partner and I try to do is just have really, really open conversation. We try to be heard, understood, validated, and acknowledged. We try not to blame or stonewall. We try to sit in it when we're uncomfortable. I often tell my clients, you don't need to walk forward. You don't need to walk backward. You can sit still. And from that space of sitting still, you can really tap into why is this coming up for me? Why does this hurt me? what is going on with me rather than trying to fix or repair the partner. That's exactly right. And I was fortunate and Marie was not degrading. It was nothing like that. Um, but in, for us to go through this, we had a lot of very uncomfortable conversations. We had a lot of sitting very still together. Um, and 
Isn't that so powerful though, when you can get to a reproachment point where you are both able to sit with your discomfort and your anxiety and say, you matter to me, you are important. And therefore I'm going to sit with myself in this moment, this close to you when I want to lash out, leave, et cetera. I mean, that is really profound. Yes, yes, yes. And that was a really big part of our healing journey. I think we both adopted this attitude that we are two souls who have come into relationship to learn from each other and to, to teach each other things and to help each other on our respective journeys. And so a big part of that is holding space for that other person to explore and to go on that journey and to learn from that. And, you know, we've done a lot of that individually. We've done a lot of that together. And I feel like our relationship is so much deeper than it ever was before. We're, we're so much closer. We have so much intimacy in our relationship, but we don't define intimacy as sex. This is not right. Absolutely. There is so much. Mm -hmm. There is so much to intimacy that it's not just that, you know, I mean, it can just be holding your partner's hand in public can be intimate or in private. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's the, the deep conversations where we might be exploring something that we're confused about, but we can be really honest with each other and, and have, have that have that dialogue this has been so valuable um so let's switch gears and talk a little bit about people that might be listening to this podcast that are not sure how to get out of what they know is becoming a problem and how to talk with kids teenagers right about how to avoid um coming into this um can you share a little bit about that your perspective on these things yeah absolutely so i feel like My healing really started when I finally started telling all of my secrets. So we had some ups and downs. We were separated, but then we got back together, but I hadn't shared my secrets. And then I continued in my bad behavior until I was ready to share all of my secrets. Because when you are keeping secrets, you're not in your integrity. And it erodes you from the inside. And so that, and there's a pain involved in that. What, what about people though, avoid... that are afraid to, of what's going to happen? What about people that say, I've got three kids, I've got a wife, we've got a business, we've got whatever. What about people who are afraid to be honest and let these secrets out for what could come of it? That's a great question. It doesn't, when I say share your secrets, it doesn't have to be with your spouse. Uh, initially, or your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. It can be with a therapist. It can be with a life coach. I, I recommend someone in that kind of context as opposed to just a friend. Um, but I think if you're working with someone that's a safe space where you can share very honestly and, and start admitting, you know, or sharing the secrets that you might be keeping inside. Cause when your secrets, when you're keeping them, they're going to, they're going to make you sick. Uh, you know, gonna... Jason, my, my phrase that I use is a, is a story told as a path to healing. I firmly yeah, believe I that, saw that like, on your you, website. Yeah. you've got to get it out. I firmly believe that. Yeah. So once you get it out, 
then you can start processing. Then you can start asking, like, well, what's driving this behavior? If I don't like this behavior in my life, why can't I stop? Um, what you can start talking about it consciously when it's when it's all trapped inside. You can't. And worst of all, you start because you're not in your integrity and you have some guilt about that and maybe some shame and maybe some embarrassment. You start to do more things to cover up for that guilt and shame and embarrassment. And that's what, if you're not careful, that can lead to an addictive cycle, whether it's, and we can be addicted to a lot of different things, right? My story was about porn and sex, but it could be um, gambling, alcohol, drugs, you mentioned, but other things like work, um, people get addicted to working out and people get addicted to television. We, we get addicted to a lot of things and I think, you know, some of that stems from if we're keeping secrets and trying to avoid that pain. Um, I really, I really love that. I think that is a fabulous first step. And, and so the secondary part of that question is, you know, how can parents talk with, with teens and things like that about something that is so taboo? And if women, mm. if women listening to this podcast, which is like 72% female, right? Like yeah. if they're listening and they're struggling with the fact that their partner is using porn often and, or maybe becoming more aggressive in the bedroom or disrespecting of their personal sovereignty. I mean, how can you encourage, what do you have for advice for women that might be listening that really want to talk openly and safely with this about their partner, with their yeah. partner about this? Yeah, no, no, a lot of different questions in there. Um, I think that, let's see, advice for a woman who wants to talk about this with their partner. Um, I do think it's helpful to have a therapist or coach where you can start talking about these things in kind of a safe environment and at least get to the core of what it is that you want to talk about. Uh, I know that that's, at least in my case, that's been very helpful that I can kind of preview a conversation with my life coach and understand what is it really that's bothering me? and. Um, and how to talk about this. And then, you know, I don't know, gosh, Michaela, I feel like I'm coming up short here on a good answer. I don't know the right way to start talking about it because every relationship is so different. You're absolutely right. And, yeah. you know, I think if I had to, if I had to kind of answer that question for myself, I think it really begins with taking a look at how communication is in your, in your relationship to begin with, right? Like if there's, if you're in a space where conversations are not relatively safe, they go sideways quickly and you're, you know, quickly blamed or criticized or the other partner gets defensive, probably picking up some books on how to better communicate or getting a couples counselor that can help with that would be number one. Um, if you have a fairly decent relationship, you know, in the way of communication, I think that uh, what I like to do is the initiator inquirer method that Ellen Bader developed through the Couples Institute is really phenomenal, which is, um, you know, you have a mission to inquire um, about this with your partner and your partner has a job of trying to explore their own self a little deeper through the process. So, you know, um, the questions are not so that you can, um, 
fix or problem solve or accept blame or anything like that, but they're really aimed to get a better understanding of your partner. So it sounds something to the effect of, you know, why is using porn for, um, you know, self-discovery or for masturbation important to you? Yeah. And I think that this is a great point. I think that if you're going to open up the conversation, you have to do it in a way where you're willing to hold space for that person to explore it. Because in in many cases, this might be something that the partner doesn't talk about with anyone, not with their friends, not with their family, nobody. And so it can be, and, and if the first time they share something about it, they're met with either hostility or some other emotional reaction or any, you know, reaction um, that can make it very difficult for them to really open up and share. So I think holding space is really important. Um, trying not to take it too personally, I think is very important while at the same time, um, encouraging the, if there's a person who's using porn, you know, compulsively and, and wants to stop a kind of can't encouraging them to go on that journey and figure out why am I doing that? What am I getting out of this? Or, um, you know, what's going on that's deeper below the surface that's driving this behavior? Uh, one of the things, just for a little comical relief here, I love that you got the blue check mark. Um, it doesn't matter how many books I or TV shows I've been on, I can't get the blue check mark. So congratulations. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, okay, so la- last kind of question about this is how can parents bring this up to their teenagers in ways that it doesn't feel creepy or gross or taboo? Or And why is it important? Why is it important to have dialogue about this? Well, I think it's important because I do think it's affecting our natural relation well our relationship to our natural sexuality um so and let's be clear when we're talking about this i think we're talking about porn and this kind of like over sexualized thing that we're that we're all experiencing um and so i do think it's important to talk with young people teenagers about um that you know there are this is not something to be ashamed of it's it's something that we should shine light on it's some talk about in the light it doesn't have to be a secret it doesn't have to be shameful um there are some significant dangers i think with porn consumption i think it can be addictive i think it can distort uh young men and women's perception of what healthy sexuality is and so i i think that they should be aware of those things if they're going to be exposed to those things also to to your point i mean just a couple like random thoughts i'm having one i follow a, an awesome person on instagram uh Danae mercer and she does a lot of body image stuff for young women and women in general um she does a lot of she used to be some sort of a supermodel kind of a thing you know television person and she shows how this is my body with my cellulite as i am and then she will pose she'll you know, pull up her underwear and do all the things and show you how fake a lot of this stuff is and how you can really get a really poor sense of self by looking at this stuff and thinking that you somehow have to be that way because there is so much smoke and mirrors to the whole gig. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is so much that you don't see behind these people on, um, you know, in porn 
either sexually trafficked individuals that are, you know, spun out on drugs while they're doing the behaviors that they're doing and or people who have incredibly low, devastating self-worth, um, lots of suicide ideation in the business, that sort of thing. So just really knowing the, dis- the moral destruction of uh, the human psyche, comp- you know, behind the scenes of this industry that's made to look so glamorous. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that from my perspective, I had been a consumer of all that. And once I started recognizing that hey, these were real people and I'm kind of exploiting them. If I'm participating in this, I'm exploiting them. I don't want to exploit other people. I want, I mean, at best, I want to help other people. Right. Um, and so recognizing that there's some exploitation that's happening here. And if you're consuming that, you're participating in that. Yep. And, and as adults in society, you know, whether you're 18 or, or 68, you know, we're, we're adults in society, and I think that we should not be exploiting each other. We should be trying to help. Also, to to the point about that more, too, is, you know, I think there's this spiritual component. I know we only have like five minutes left before I have another appointment, but um, there's this spiritual component in, in just an overall, and this is my complete personal opinion, not putting this on you at all, but I feel like there has been a massive moral decay of, um, you know, you know, the whole modest is hottest thing kind of deal, you know, it used to be that there was glamour in, in privacy and intimacy, and that only certain people get to see this part of me kind of a thing. I mean, and I say this as, you know, I'm, I'm going to do my first uh, boudoir shoot ever. It's not something I have any intention of sharing on my social media, obviously at all. Um, I'm doing it for myself just to kind of capture the mental space that I'm in in my life right now. But, you know, that is something that I think, you know, young women I see walking around half naked half the time. And there's and, and that's just a tiny little part of what I'm talking about. I mean, we just look at Tinder as an app and the idea behind it, which is it's a hookup site. It's literally a hookup site. It's literally promoting the idea that you have this casual sex encounters. I know that they do have long lasting relationships there and this and that. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus, but I do think there's just this kind of overarching theme that we don't, we don't have God, whatever that looks like for you in your life, in our lives. And I think that's really led to a lot of this stuff. Well, I, I, yeah, I think that there's, I know in my case, I was looking to the outside world to fill some void I felt inside of myself or or to to give me something that I needed. And I think, you know, our society and our culture kind of supports that and perpetuates that by telling, you know, implying to us and sometimes outright telling us if you have these things, you'll be happy if you for for me it was money cars and women and if you get those things you'll be happy and then i got those things and i was still miserable and that's when i finally had to realize that i couldn't find happiness from the outside world i had to find it from within myself and that's that spiritual journey you're talking about that so i think I c- I could not have like pegged a tagline for the most perfect ending to our interview today. <laughs> um, so you know, just to kind of recap what you said, folks, in case you didn't hear me said, 
he didn't find happiness outside of himself. He had to find happiness inside of himself. And that is exactly what this podcast is all about. And we're cracking open the notion that self-help is the key, right? That sometimes unself-helping is the key to finding this internal happiness. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Such a great interview. And I uh, really look forward to uh, seeing how uh, the work that you're doing has a positive impact in the world. Awesome. Thanks, Michaela. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.